0: Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Well, good morning, church. Good to see you. I, too, want to welcome those who are visiting for the very first time, or if you kind of feel new, uh, we're glad that you're here. Today, we are concluding our series entitled, I Wish Jesus Didn't Say That. And in a moment, um, I'm going to summarize our series But before I do, I want to remind us of an even bigger picture. And this is like the super big picture. This is bigger than Guam, bigger than Micronesia, or the Pacific, even bigger than the whole world. And so, here it is. But, you know, before I say that, it's very important for us to have this in mind. Because when you apply the lessons from this series, when you apply them in your life, then you're going to be part of the bigger picture of what God is doing. And so what is that bigger picture? Here it is in a single sentence. Out of the kingdom of man, God is developing a kingdom for himself. Out of the kingdom of man, God is developing a kingdom for himself. Even more amazing than that reality is the idea that God invites us to be a part of what it is that he's doing. He's inviting you and I to be a part of what he's doing. But in order to be a part of what he's doing, uh, we have to learn the language of love. God is love and the language of his kingdom is love. And like any language, we start out with simple words and then we grow from there. When we start learning the ways of God's kingdom, he gives us baby steps. He starts with the basics, things like learning how to receive forgiveness and how to forgive others. In the language of love, these are the very first words that we learn to speak. The Bible says that love keeps no record of wrongs. And for those who are fluent in the language of love, they love their enemies. This is what Jesus did. And this was the first lesson in our series. Why did Jesus tell us to love our enemies? Well, it's because of the big picture. Out of the kingdom of man, God is developing a kingdom for himself. In other words, God is in the process Of winning the hearts of his enemies. He transfers us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. In other words, many of his followers were once his enemies. Remember the Apostle Paul? Uh, Remember some of us? You know, in my BC days, I didn't come to know the Lord until I was 20 years old. But prior to that, one night I was in a club and we were sitting at a table and somebody at the table said something about the Bible. And I made this wisecrack remark. I said, oh, so are you one of those people that wear Holy Moses sandals? And I said that in front of everybody at the table. I insulted him in front of everybody. I was antagonistic. I was unfriendly. And it wasn't necessarily a test by me, but in God's curriculum for his life, it was a test for him to see if he would love somebody Who was acting like an enemy you know if he had been offended and if he had given me a smirk he would have lost me but instead he turned his attention to me and he engaged me with some respect and he said well have you ever read the bible and i said no uh no i haven't and he says well you know you really ought to check it out it's an amazing book And you know, his response and his control and his treatment toward me after that remark allowed what he said to be a seed that got planted in my heart. And years later, somebody watered that seed, and I asked Christ into my life. God's kingdom is a kingdom of love. Love doesn't force, it attracts. Until we learn how to love, we cannot attract. When we learn how to love, then we can be a part of what God is doing. And this is why Jesus said, Love your enemies. I mean, if we don't love our enemies, then we have no testimony. Uh, we have no witness. We, we have no attraction because we're no different than the rest of the world. Jesus said, If you only love those who love you, how are you any different? And that was our first lesson in the series to love your enemies. <laughs> and at first, you know, we're tempted to be to respond by saying, you know, I really wish Jesus didn't say that. But when we understand the bigger picture, it makes sense. I mean, how is God going to build his kingdom with the attraction of love unless we learn to love our enemies? I mean, who are we reaching out to? We're reaching out to people who don't know God. We're reaching out to people who have a lot of misinformation about God. They think God's a big cop in the sky who wants to just rain on their party and tell them to cut it out. You know, and as a result, many don't want to know God. And they're at enmity with God. And if we don't know how to love them, then we're never going to reach them. So it's because of the big picture that Jesus says, love your enemies. Well, that was week number one. Week two We learned it's because of the big picture that Jesus said, don't let anything else become more important than him. You know, if it does, it'll distract you. You know, it'll get you off track. You won't be in sync with what God wants to do because we're not one with him. And so in the second lesson of our series, we talked about the fact that Jesus is Lord over earthly wealth. Materialism is one of the biggest competitors for your time and attention. And Jesus is on a mission, and he invited us to join him. And Paul said, a good soldier does not entangle himself in the affairs of everyday life. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't take care of our everyday affairs. What it means is we don't let them entangle us. When Jesus is Lord of your earthly wealth, then money and materialism will not have a hold on your heart, and we will be free to join what God is doing. You know, there's... A true story: uh, A brother, who um, <clears throat> that I was in small group with, and we had many, many conversations about his work. And he happened to have a schedule that uh, had him working on Sundays, and it was a part-time job, and he had a choice about whether or not he would keep it. And he always struggled with the idea of, you know, giving up the income versus coming to church on Sunday morning. And he went back and forth over that for months. You know, and in his mind, he knew, yeah, you know, I should trust God and let him take care of me if I would make that commitment or that sacrifice. But week after week, it was like he just couldn't pull the trigger to say no to his employer. And months went by, but eventually he came to that point where he's here on Sunday mornings. And there was a process in his heart of letting Jesus be Lord over the wealth in his life that if he would put God first, God would take care of him. That was our second message in the series. Jesus is Lord over earthly wealth. In our third week, Armand did a great job, didn't he? A great job of explaining and highlighting how we're not to love our family more than God. And that's consistent with the first commandment. God said, I am the Lord and you are to have none other, no substitutes. And so if I was to summarize weeks two and three, I would say this. Don't let people and things come before God. If that happens, we can be distracted or delayed or even disqualified from running the race. This is why the writer of Hebrews said, run with endurance, the race marked out for you, keeping your eyes on Jesus. If you keep your eyes on something else, you'll be running in a different direction. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. And then last week, Sherlyn from Life in the Sun, Saipan. She talked about God's heart for the lost. And I just love that illustration that she used about her nephew. And just imagine for yourself someone that you really care about a lot. Somebody who means a lot to you. And just imagine if they started making a series of foolish choices. And they were doing things that were hurtful to themselves and hurtful to their family. How would you feel? Would you just kind of go about life as usual and ignore what was happening and just kind of forget about them? You know, and her response was, no, that made me all the more concerned. I was all the more mindful for them and pulling for them and praying for them. And the Lord said to her, that's exactly how God feels about the lost. You know, sometimes we can kind of ignore or write off, but that's not God's heart. This week, oh, and then she concluded, she said there's three things that you can do. You can either give, or you can pray, and or you can go. And so, uh, very thankful for Sherlin and bringing that. She didn't realize how much she was being a part of the series that she just jumped in on. This week, we're going to wrap up the series, I wish Jesus didn't say that, with something that Jesus taught in John chapter 15. And so we're going to put that up on the screen, verses 19 and 20. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you too. So there are three things that we would like to emphasize about what Jesus taught here. Number one is the reality of persecution. Number two are the reasons for persecution. And number three are the rewards for enduring persecution. The reality, the reasons, and the rewards. And so in the first one, the reality, how many of you have a Facebook account? A lot of people. Okay, how many of you have posted a picture in your Facebook account. And how many of you like it when you get a whole lot of responses where people said they like your photo or your post? (laughs) Yeah, it feels good. We like that, don't we? Well, we all have a need to be liked, uh, to be approved, to be accepted, to be appreciated, to be wanted, to be welcomed and respected, to be honored. In some, we all have a need to be loved. And the reality of persecution and the reality of being hated is probably one of the most difficult realities to face because one of our greatest fears is the fear of being rejected. And yet Jesus said, you will be persecuted if you identify with me. Here on Guam, you probably won't get thrown in jail for your faith. But there will be some sort of persecution. The kind of persecution that some of you experience is not physical, but emotional, or relational. Many of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have experienced some degree of rejection because you changed a religion or because you took a stand for something ethical. I remember the first six months that I became a Christian. I still had my old friends. So one day I went to hang out with them. We're all sitting outside in the garage, and somebody lights up a joint and starts passing it around. So it starts on the opposite side of the circle, and it gets to me, and I take it, and I look at it, I pass it to the next guy. I tell you, man, the atmosphere changed in like five minutes. After it was over, the leader of the group, he said to me, what? You too good for us? Are you a narc? I tell you, my, cha- my, my friends changed real fast. Wasn't welcome anymore. Just because of that little act, just letting it pass and not participating. Another form of persecution that you may experience is criticism, especially if you're excited for God. You may experience criticism. I remember when I was in college, I uh, was really excited about what God was doing in my life. And I met this other guy. He's a Christian in my dorm. And he had received Christ into his life uh, before I did. He knew a lot about the Bible, and so I really respected him. And I was so excited about what God was doing in my life, I was always talking about Jesus. And this was going on for like a year. And then one day we're sitting in the cafeteria and there's a group of people there, about six people, and I said something again about the Lord. And he just leaned over in the table and he looked at me and he said, is that all you can talk about is the Lord? Just like that. I tell you, man, I just felt like shrinking right there in public. You know, sometimes people will get irritated what you represent. It could come from Christians who are not walking with God. Uh, This college friend, he at one time used to be a student leader in the campus ministry that I was involved with. But at some point, he made a compromise and he stopped pursuing God. And he got to a point where he was now sleeping with his girlfriend. And I didn't have the insight at the time to understand that the way I was talking and the way I was acting was going to be irritating to him. You know, I thought that by his reaction, maybe something was wrong with me. I didn't realize until years later, there was actually something wrong with him. And that's why he responded like that. That's the reason for the reality of persecution. People don't like the message that what they're doing is wrong, whether it's communicated directly or indirectly, whether you mean to do it or not. It could be as simple as just letting it pass. And people don't like the contrast. And so Jesus said there is the reality of persecution it'll happen. Maybe not extremely like you read in the papers in other countries, but it'll happen. And so what are some of the reasons for that? Well, one reason, as I alluded to earlier, people don't like to be exposed. People are in darkness and they don't like the light because their unrighteousness is exposed by the light of Christ in you. And that's why it's so important to learn the language of love. Only when we speak the truth in love can a seed be planted that will grow and bear fruit. You know, if we expose others with judgment, they'll be repelled. If we show that we care about them and we respect them and yet still take a stand for God, then God will honor that. He can allow that to be a seed that gets planted in somebody's heart or waters a seed that's already there. And so that's one reason people don't like to be exposed. Uh, here's another reason God's kingdom and the Bible are countercultural. We read in verse 19 a moment ago, the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. In other words, when you walk with God and apply the Bible to your life, you will be countercultural. The Bible says, be faithful to your wife. How many of us know that's countercultural? The Bible says, love your enemies. That's not the advice you hear on the street the Bible says give one tenth of your income, one tenth of your income to God. Very countercultural. The message of the Bible is countercultural. Now I remember once I was working as a counselor in the Department of Education for students with emotional disabilities and one of them had to be transported to a residential facility in Hawaii. And I was asked if I would escort the student there. And so it was a government paid trip. They paid for the airfare, they gave per diem But because the place I stayed in cost less than what they estimated, I had money left over when I came back. And so I went down to the administrative office in Aganya and I said, I just came back from this government-sponsored trip, and I have this leftover money, and I want to give it back. And they, you should have seen, they were like discombobulated in the office. They were like, you want to do what? And they're all talking to each other in Chamorro, like, do we have a form for such a thing? (laughs) They didn't know what to I ended up walking away from the window. They couldn't process it. They didn't have a system for transacting that. When you walk with God, you'll be countercultural. There's a third reason, and that is that when people reject you, when people criticize you, remember there's also a spiritual reality that is happening behind the scenes. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 6.10, he said, here's a final word, he said, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities and the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then after the battle, you will be standing firm. You know, there was a time in my life when the enemy used to use fear to try and intimidate me. I was a young Christian, and I was just coming out of a lot of the darkness and the patterns and the habits that I'd been living with for 20 years. And sometimes that fear would just almost immobilize me. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever experienced this. Uh, one time I was just laying on my bed in the middle of the night. I just felt like this he- nobody was there, not physically, but this heavy presence just came and pressed on me. And this fear just gripped me. And I tell you, I was choking. I couldn't speak. And it took everything within me just to utter out the words Jesus. And the moment I said Jesus, pff, it broke. And just disappeared and went away. But you know, there were times like that where the enemy just did this frontal assault. It was obvious. And he was using fear tactics. But every time he did that, I would turn to the Lord. Back in those days, I recommend you do this. I, I, I just really digested this book called The Bondage Breaker by Neil Anderson. And I recommend it as a field manual for every single person in this room and anybody you're discipling. Tell them to get that book and just eat it up. I had it at my nightstand. I Xeroxed prayers out of it. I wrote in my journal. Every night I went to sleep, I'd pray those spiritual warfare prayers and every morning I woke up, I would pray those when I was in that state of battle and learning how to fight. Just learning my identity in Christ and fighting my way through. And you know, there came a time when that became automatic in my life. You know, I didn't need a manual sitting there. It was, it, was, it was ingrained in me. I just responded that way every time there was spiritual battle. And there came a point one day the enemy was battling with me, and I turned to the Lord again, and I, re- I received his protection, and the presence was gone. And I just spoke out loud to the enemy. I said, you're taking the wrong approach. Every time you come at me, I'm going to turn to the Lord and you're going to lose. And from then on, he couldn't do that style anymore. He had to go underground in hidden ways to be deceptive, to try and accomplish his tactics. And so there's a spiritual battle that goes on that's connected with persecution that we experience. People don't want to be exposed, but there's also a spiritual reality happening behind the scenes. And so there's the reality of persecution. There are reasons for persecution, but there's also a great reward for enduring persecution. You know when you endure persecution, it indicates that you're walking with God. Did you ever know somebody for a long time only to be surprised maybe months or years later that they are a Christian too? You're like, you? Really? (laughs) I had no idea. (laughs) When you endure persecution, it means that your relationship with God is showing. Now, I'm not saying it's okay to be obnoxious about your faith. But in the normal course of obeying God, your lifestyle should be apparent. You know, there are three responses to this tension of being in the world. And Christians have been struggling with this over the centuries. And so one of the responses that's very common when we experience that tension between us and the world, is to kind of go away, to retreat, to be isolated. One of the responses is isolation. And there was a time in history where that became very popular. And so a lot of the monasteries that were built and the monks that were residents in those facilities, you know, the idea, there was some sincerity in that. You know, I don't want to be of the world. I need to pull away from it where I can be cloistered, where I can be protected from being defiled and exposed by the worldliness all around me. And so that was one approach, was isolation. Then there's the opposite extreme. There are people who are kind of like, well, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. And so they do what's called imitation. And so, and sometimes can even justify it in their heart. Well, you know, we need to be all things to all people so that we might, we might win some. You know, maybe instead of passing it, maybe I'll just participate, you know, so that I can be one with them and welcomed and, and they'll feel like they're a part of me, and I'm a part of them. And sometimes you can't tell the difference between those kinds of Christians and the non-Christians. The lifestyle looks just the same. It's called imitation. But there is another response that we can have, which I think is the balance. Let me illustrate it this way. Um, Anybody here ever gone fishing? Rod and railing, maybe on a boat, or off a coast, or off a stream? Well, one day I I went fishing, and... um, We were way out there, two miles offshore, and I caught a tuna. And the captain of the boat was prepared. He had brought wasabi and some soy sauce. I used to think eating fresh fish was gross. I was like, don't let it touch my lips. You know, but he prepared this, and it was fresh. It was so fresh, it just melted in your mouth. After that, I was hooked. I love sashimi. (laughs) But, you know, isn't it interesting that you could have a creature that is born and raised in the ocean, but the moment you catch it and you eat it, one of the first things you add is salt through the soy sauce. Isn't it interesting that God can make a creature that can live in a saltwater environment but not be salty? Is it possible that God could allow you to live in a worldly environment but not be worldly? This third approach is not... Isolation, it's not imitation, it's insulation. When you put on the armor of of Christ and you walk in his presence, you can be in the world but not of the world. He can insulate you from the things around you and then you can go out there and you can love your enemies and you can be a part of it and yet not of it. Amen? Amen. Persecution shows that you're walking with God. Another result of it is it results in maturity. James chapter 1, James said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know there is a maturity that happens through the testing." You know, as Pastor Taylor likes to say, you know, we want the testimony, but we don't want the test. But let the test come. Life is a test. And let God use it to help you learn the lessons of life, His curriculum for you, so that you can grow in your character and grow in maturity. Amen. And He he doesn't cause those things, and I I don't even want to say He allows them, but God definitely is present in the midst of difficulty and trials in your life. And he can use them to work together for good. Amen? So, the reward of enduring persecution is that um, it's an an indicator of our walk with God. It also results in maturity. Thirdly, persecution results in heavenly rewards. Hmm. Persecution results in heavenly rewards. There is a crown that you will receive for enduring persecution. Matthew 5.12 says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. We need to keep in mind that this life is not all there is. Sometimes we have a limited view, and sometimes we think life is unjust because we're looking at just this segment of our existence. But there's, there's more. There is an eternal life And at that point, the Lord will make all things just and bring everything under his judgment, and there will be reward for those who endure persecution. Amen? And so my application, my hope is this, that we would be like the early apostles. You know, they went through a lot of persecution. They were brought before the rulers and the leaders, and they were scolded, and they were threatened, and sometimes they were flogged, and they were beaten. But in Acts chapter 5, it says, They departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. I think it's important to make a distinction here. Persecution is not when we experience consequences because of our own wrongdoing. You know, if I'm at work and I'm always on the computer doing Facebook and personal things, and then my boss reprimands me for that, that's not persecution because of my faith. (laughs) okay, that's because I was slacking off on the job and not doing my work. You know, if I do a project and I do it poorly and then they don't call me back, that's not because I was a Christian. That's because the work was poor. And so, you know, when we experience persecution because we're taking a stand for the Lord and because we're taking a stand for something ethical, then there's a reward that God has for you. Amen? So I want to invite us just to take some time to pray if you would close your eyes and bow your heads, I want to read to you a scripture while you're just having some time alone with God. And just kind of meditate on this as you listen to it, as you turn your attention toward the Lord. This is Hebrews chapter 10, where the writer says, Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule or were beaten. Maybe not physically, but maybe emotionally. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You knew there were better things waiting. Better things waiting for you that will last forever. So don't throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will and then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the one who is coming will come and not delay and my righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Father, I pray for each one of us here in this room today. And I ask, Lord, that you would enable us to be able to be strong in your strength, to be able to stand in your presence when the going gets tough. Lord, when we have a difficult choice to make at school or at work or with our friends, God, I ask that you would strengthen each person here to choose you and to take a stand for your ways and for your kingdom lord i thank you that as each person puts you first in their life that you will complete the good work that you began that you will cause them to grow and that you will use them to be an example of your heart and to be a witness for you and i pray lord that you would use us as we take that stand to plant many seeds Lord, I pray that you would use us to demonstrate your love to others and that that would be an attraction. Lord, and that people would be drawn to yourself by our love for you. Father, I pray that your spirit would work in and through us to bring that to pass, to make that happen. And we ask this, if you would just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I want to address another group in here today. There may be some of you who, as you're listening to us Worship the Lord and talk about a relationship with Him, that that has been attractive to you. And that's why you're here today. And you came here because you're seeking God. You want to experience more of Him. And if you've never made a formal choice for the very first time to invite Him into your life, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And in a moment, the way we'll do it is I'll simply pray and I invite you to hitchhike on my words and God will hear you. But before I pray, I'd like to know who I'm praying with. And so if that sounds like something that you would like to do, then I want to invite you to pray with me. But before we do, if you would simply look up, then I'll know who's going to pray. And then we'll take some time to pray together. So if that's something that you want to do, go ahead and look up at this time, and then we'll pray in a moment. Okay, anybody else? Yes, I see you. Anyone else? I don't want to miss anybody. Okay, let's pray. Father, God, I stand before you today. Lord, with this decision to turn my heart and my life to you. God, today I make a decision to open up my life and I invite you to reveal yourself to me and reveal your ways to me. Lord, I open up my heart, and I ask that your spirit would come in and indwell my spirit, and that you would give me a new start. Lord, a new beginning. Lord, you know the way things have been going have not been the best. Lord, some things I'm not proud of. Lord, things I've done that have been hurtful to myself, to others. Lord, I ask you to forgive me for all of it. Lord, forgive me of my sin. Lord, I just take a moment to receive you into my life, to receive your spirit and your forgiveness. And I ask that you would make me the kind of person you want me to be. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for Jesus' death on the cross. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who prayed that prayer for the very first time, I want to encourage you to do something, and that is if you would go over to this table here, we'd like to give you a little booklet called One to One. And I want to encourage you to take that booklet and go through it with somebody else that you know also has a relationship with God. And the two of you can learn from each other and grow together. And as you've heard me say before, there's nothing better than experiencing God than experiencing Him together. Sound good? All right, you guys have been great. Have a great Sunday. God bless you, and happy Mother's Day.